This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we bring in me, Pedro Arrow, to talk about virtual volumes and how they transform your environment from infrastructure-centric to application-centric. It's VVOLs in three, two, one. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi and sitting next to me is Pedro Arrow. What? <laughs> How did you get in here? Who let you in? I snuck in like always. He did. Through the back door. That's actually right. a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pedro Arrow is here to join us today. Uh, Glenn is also here. Say hello, Glenn. Hello, Glenn. Glenn's actually remote. He's actually... So Pedro is sitting in Glenn's seat. Glenn is sitting at home. Through his masterful home studio that he's created for himself. Well, the, 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 just further evidence that I am what's broken, not actually the studio, because Pete actually sounds fine, and I'm always way too hot on these recordings, so I should probably stop screaming in microphones at some point. <laughs> You'll always be too hot for me, Glenn. Was that uh, Angry Man Screams at Cloud or whatever? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All I'm hearing is we should move the recording to uh, Glenn's house. Yeah. Party. He could he could start grilling out. He's got that sweet grill set up, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm totally down with this, yeah. guys. Let's make this happen. That's the podcast lunch. <laughs> I'm I'm liking the commute to my uh, to to the podcast. That's a pretty good commute. So a- Andrew's also here today. Say say hello again. Andrew. Hello again. I'm I'm back from the uh, wild and frosty north. <laughs> you do look a little frostier today. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was in Calgary and uh, it was. Forty, hey. yeah, yeah, forty something degrees, you know, Fahrenheit. It was, you know, like four or five Celsius, and uh, I, I had a great time joking with all the attendees. Of, what Calgary is? The weather's beautiful. I should come back more often, especially this time of year. Yeah, they didn't. They 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 giggled and were like, "Sure, come on back, Southern boy." I like how you led with Fahrenheit. Well, yeah, I'm I'm from the U.S. We we go by imperial. No, you, you kept it authentic. You know, you didn't try to you didn't try to front. You know, I'm Canadian, Celsius, right? You know, or centigrade, whatever. Yeah, that never works out because you, you, the, the number is never as small as you actually think it is. No. If you're used to imperial, you're like, oh, okay, 70 degrees. What is that, like 40 degrees Fahrenheit, Celsius? That's about right. Like 40, right? That that number seems right. No, not even close to right. Yeah, it's like, see, to convert from Celsius to Fahrenheit, I think it's multiply by nine-fifths and add 32 or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. No, it's just open up your phone and say, hey, what is this in Fahrenheit? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Siri, <laughs> tell me what this is in Fahrenheit. Versus, yeah. Never right. do arithmetic in public. <laughs> yeah. Th- thank you, Dan. That is Dan's uh, life advice to everybody. That's pretty good advice, actually, because it'll only make you look bad. Plus, yeah. you get all that pressure coming in on you, and you, you just, you're, you're going to screw it up. Yeah, Dan, Dan, the math major, who says never do arithmetic in public. He's right. He's right. Wise words from, from the Dan. I just realized that you're wearing a snazzy like bowling shirt that says VMware Technical Marketing on it and everything. Duh, you, that's where I work. <laughs> you, look, you look all official and stuff. Yeah, why not? Wow, I'm digging the pocket with the zipper. You know what? Like Actually, let, let's let's go ahead and make this official and stuff because for all of us, uh, this is this is a bit of a homecoming uh, because we got our we, we got our buddy back uh, and we missed him greatly. But uh, this is actually a big deal. 
Uh, Pete, you're, you've now settled into your, your new role at VMware. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give the listeners the scoop? You know, what is it that you're doing these days, and, and why are you specifically here to talk to us again? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to say that this being part of the podcast, as for those of you that don't know, I was, I was part of the podcast for a couple of years, actually, but even before it was the Tech on Tap podcast, it was the NetApp Communities podcast. And so, uh, and Glenn and I, we put this thing back together and made it the Tech on Tap podcast and brought Sully in and then ultimately brought in Justin. So these are, this is my family. I've got, I've got better memories in this studio than anything else in my whole NetApp career. I mean, this, this, this is a really, this was a lot of, lot of fun, you know? And so I look in this room and I think, man, this is, I think of all the times that we had in this room and it just really, it kind of, you know, brings me back. So I'm so honored to be here with you guys. First of all, it's a little bit surreal to be on the other side of the desk and actually being interviewed. Uh, but with that, thank you for inviting me. Uh, as Glenn mentioned, I'm at VMware now. I am a technical marketing architect at VMware focusing on virtual volumes. Uh, as well as some other things like VAIO, um, but uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm doing a similar role that what I did here at NetApp. At NetApp, I focused on VMware, uh, but on NetApp storage. And at VMware, I focus on uh, basically anything VMware that's on all storage, uh, mainly virtual volumes. Uh, so really excited today to talk about virtual volumes, and uh, we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's why I'm here to talk about virtual volumes. You're also doing a new podcast, since you, you know you you liked it so much. Here, you're like, let me take the show on the road and make my yeah. own podcast. If 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 you miss the sound of Pete driving a podcast, let me tell you something. I know a place where you can get your fix. <laughs> true statement. True statement. What, what's that called? Uh, it is the Virtually Speaking Podcast. So you can go to vspeakingpodcast.com and check it out. Uh, but basically, very similar thing. When I was at NetApp, you know, I was the guy that had more questions than answers. And I thought a podcast was a really great opportunity. It was a really great mechanism to bring in really big brains and ask them all the right questions. And so when I went to VMware, I was really surprised how many people grabbed me in the corridors, like when I went to Palo Alto. And they were like, oh, I know that podcast. That's one of the better sounding podcasts. You guys do a great job. Are you going to do that here? Are you going to do that here? Uh, and I, I got asked that a lot. And so I thought, you know what? I started talking to a guy who reminds me a lot of Glenn, actually, John Nicholson, who's just one of those really big brains that can go deep, 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 but also talk about the business proposition uh, and be somebody that you actually want to listen to and be funny. And I was like, oh, this guy is the kind of guy that I'd want to do a podcast with. And so John and I, we decided to just do it. You know, we're we're not asking for permission. You know, it's a it's a hosted thing. It's Beg not hosted by VMware. Beg yeah, we're begging for forgiveness. Uh, and yeah, we, we just started. We've had a couple of uh, episodes and... Uh, yeah, so check it out, vspeakingpodcast.com. He's got a rocking intro as opposed to our hippity-hop intro. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I'm a little hip-hop. I'm a little bit of uh, yeah. rock and roll, so. Yeah, yeah I, I, I actually take fault for that. Um, <laughs> when, we, when we started going in and, and, and coming up with the new intro, I very I think the, the, the influence I gave him was just like 808 bass drops. I just wanted, I want a sick drop at some point Dre. in the intro. Can you make <laughs> it sound like Dre? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. There was a little um, but, bit of that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it may have been shortly after uh, after math drop. Possibly. But anyways, the 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 point is, um, I'm going to go ahead and give you an endorsement here, buddy. Uh, I've listened uh, to the pilot episode, and I and I gave a listen to the episode with with uh, Rawlinson uh, the other day on my drive in, and uh, it sounds phenomenal, man. You picked up where you left off, uh, and and I love the idea of VMware uh, bringing some of those brilliant minds out from the weeds and, and bringing them closer to the edge. Not Selfishly, as a partner, I want it just because it helps me learn. 
right? This is how I learn about new technology myself. But I also think it'll help our joint customers better understand the solutions that we're building for them. Thanks, Glenn. I appreciate that. Yeah, and even internally, everyone's pretty excited about it. And all the people that you know are in the Twitter sphere have uh, reached out to me and said, "Yep, I'll come on." So we've got a we've got a long list of folks that are ready to jump in and dive into the weeds. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. We got to have you guys on too. That would be fantastic. That it'd be very meta. Yeah, we'll, we'll have like a co. What do they call that one? Two, simulcast. We can Ooh. simulcast. That'll be fun. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Now we're talking. We'll yeah. have two anyway. different. We'll have uh, competing recordings. We'll see who cuts what out. <laughs> yes. All right, so last week, if you heard the podcast, uh, we brought in Aaron P- Patton from SolidFire, and he was talking about VVols because he works on VVols over at SolidFire. So we figured, why not bring back Pedro Aero and get the real scoop from the, the actual VVol guy at VMware? So Pedro Aero, we asked Aaron the same question last week. What's a VVol? Yeah, you'd be surprised, actually, how many times I hear that, that question. But essentially what Virtual Volumes is, it's like a new virtual machine disk management and integration framework. This framework actually gives uh, storage vendors the ability to, to present their goodness, their storage capabilities, their, all their features, um, to the virtual infrastructure in the form of policies. And we do that with uh, storage policy-based management, SPBM. Uh, and so using VASA 2.0 now, storage vendors are able to leverage these vSphere APIs uh, to handle all of these storage tasks uh, a couple of key benefits on that that I'm sure we'll dive into in this in this podcast, but you know, at, at a quick glance, you know, there's tons of simplicity now in the sense that virtual administrators can now manage their environments instead of having to go to the storage admin and provision carve out LUNs and have to do all of you know pre-planning to actually have a virtual machine, a virtual disk for a particular environment. It can now be done through the use of virtual volumes. Uh, and VM storage policies. Uh, much much simpler process, and we'll dive into how that works in, in a little bit. Uh, but so certainly ease of management is a big thing with virtual volumes. Uh, and of, co- of course, this whole automation with storage policy-based management. So yeah, I'm looking forward to dive into these different benefits and some of the features here. So how does it make it easier? I mean, what's, it, what's the ease use case? Like, why, is it, why was it hard before, and why is it easier now? Good question, good question. Well, the, the best way I can explain it to you is to sort of present what some of the problems that people see and then talk about how virtual volumes addresses those. So let's start with that. Like <clears throat> one of the things that we see a lot of, uh, even as a storage vendor, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. You know, you're a storage admin and you, your vSphere admin comes in and says, I've got this server or I've got this workload coming up. I'm going to need some space for it. You know, where do I put it? Uh, this, this is a high end workload, so it needs to have certain storage functions, it needs start, certain storage media. You know, it has to be SSD. It needs to be the greatest, latest, you know, the fastest media. It has to be protected. There has to be a specific replication tied to it. Certain storage characteristics that apply to, you know, the parts of a virtual machine. Uh, Traditionally, a data store would be, you know, know, whether it's NFS or iSCSI, you're going to have a data store that's tied to either a LUN or an NFS mount that basically has, at the data store level, capacity tied to it as well as all of the data management features, all of the storage characteristics of your storage, all tied to a data store level. And so the problem with that is, is you're not going to have too many data stores in your environment, but you're going to have a ton of virtual machines that are sitting in a pool of storage inside of your data store. Uh, some of those virtual machines might have different performance requirements, uh, different storage characteristic requirements even. Uh, even. Even at a virtual machine level, you've got an operating system at the C that may not have the same requirements as the application directory on, say, like a SQL server, for example. So you're telling me I shouldn't run my, my home directory OSs with my application OSs? Is that 
I'm saying that you can, but you don't necessarily have to because they have different requirements, right? <laughs> and so what VVols does is it actually create it adds granularity and it takes the the I/O path out of the data store uh, and it puts it directly into individual virtual volumes. Uh, you know, and so NetApp Talk is technically that's actually a flex file, uh, but it it points to a direct volume and at that individual virtual volume level, I'm now I've got my I/O path tied to that as well as my storage characteristics. So now within the same data store. I can actually have storage that has different requirements. You know, maybe in the same data store, this virtual machine has SSD, whereas this one might have SATA. This virtual machine is a policy that has uh, replication, that has uh, you know whatever the different storage functionalities that you know your your vendor provides tied to this policy, and you can have multiple policies within the same data store. Big difference from the traditional way of everything being tied to individual data stores, and so certainly that answers the simplicity problem. Uh, an another aspect of that is the fact that you know instead of having to provision you know static LUNs that are a certain size and saying hey here's this LUN virtual administrator now go for it and for him to come back and say ooh you know what that was when we were in test but now it's in production so now it has different storage requirements uh, can you please help me and then there's a movement uh, you know maybe it's outgrowing space and so you have to add more LUNs to it. And so the whole operations maintenance is a long conversation between the virtual administrator and the storage administrator. Whereas with virtual volumes, you know, it's as simple as the storage administrator, he's got better things to do. He provisions a storage container uh, with, you know, essentially one big data store, if you will. It's a storage container uh, that has all of, the f all of the goodness that its array can provide to you, all of the functionality, uh, but it can grow. It's, it's not a it's not a physical, it's not a static size. You know, this thing is a logical component uh, that can be, you know, you can take up all the disks in, in your entire array. And so at that point, that gets handed to the uh, virtual administrator, who now using storage policy-based management uh, can now take that and provision virtual machines, uh, disks from within uh, that big storage container by himself without having to you know, have a, a meeting with the storage admin and find out what are the storage characteristics of that LUN. No, he just goes and says, all right, well, here are all of my policies. This one needs to have this policy. And the beauty of it is he can even create new policies while he's provisioning a virtual machine on the fly. He can see the policies that it has and say, hmm, that's great, but I also need this one to have QoS applied. And then so he can add that functionality and layer that onto the provisioning of a, of a virtual machine. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's all done on the fly. So it's much simpler and it's a lot quicker. Yeah, I, I like to talk about it as, you know, how does VVOLs eliminate or, or simplify the life of a virtual machine administrator or a virtual machine, uh, a, a vCenter admin, right? In that, what are what are some of the biggest, most complex tasks that we do when we're provisioning virtual machines, right? It's choosing the data store. So with VVOLs, you no longer have data stores. You simply have that container, right? And then you determine which storage, right, which features are taken advantage of through the VM storage policies. Yep. Right. So with NetApp, right, the, the VASA provider, and really it's any of the storage providers, right, the VASA provider communicates with vCenter and says, here are all of the features that we have available. And the VM administrator simply goes in and says, well, I want to take advantage of this feature and this feature and this feature and this feature. And it says, okay, well, put it into the VVOL container, and we will figure out how to implement all of those features on the storage side of things. Absolutely. So from a VM administrator perspective, I no longer have to keep track of all of my different data stores, right? I no longer have to have that spreadsheet that says, well, data store 12 comes off of this storage system, and it's sitting on these type of disks, and it has these features turned on, and on and on and on and on. Yep. Right? 
Instead, it's just, I want to use these features. And the VASA provider figures out where to best place that in order to meet all of those needs. Yep. Um, and the storage admin is also out of the business of carving the LUNs out, making, you know, masking and zoning and presenting that to the ESXi host, all of yep. the stuff it takes just to get it up and running. That all goes away because now the VM administrator provisions it on the fly. Yeah, it's the continuing that, shift, right? It's like the, the DevOps mentality. Yeah, that, that, that's the part that, that I personally am super in love with about VVols. It's the part where a virtualization administrator uses a plain text, plain language policy uh, which which is self you know identifying you know if you don't know what the policy's doing you can just look at it it's not very complicated it's incredibly simple to 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 interpret um, but you're just applying that policy to an object and just saying that this is how I want this object to be stored and these are the types of advanced data services uh, that 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 I think are important for this object and uh, the entire VVOLS infrastructure not only ensures that, that those rules are followed and that they stay followed, right? If somebody goes out of band and, and screws something up, uh, it, it, it's aware of that and it has a mechanism to, to deal with it. Um, but also, and you touched on this, Pete, it's the difference between pre-provisioning and dynamic provisioning, Yeah. right? Traditional data stores, we got to do all our architecture up front. We got to get everything presented to vSphere. Uh, and then you just start putting VMs in your buckets. And a VVOLS architecture we get the VOS provider and everything wired in so that the infrastructure is ready to go. You create your policies, and then you just start creating VMs. And, and, and the flex vols and containers and storage objects that are needed to back those are created by the system as they're needed. Yep. Yep. I like to think of it, and we can, we can summarize this, this portion of this this way. In my opinion, it's, take, it's, it's taking something that was always an infrastructure-centric approach to an application-centric approach. You know, yeah, this, I love that. This virtual machine has different different requirements, and so I don't need to be tied to this data store. So it's an application centric approach. So yeah, I just keep pushing the complexity down, right? Just just drive the complexity down and make it easier. Yep. I could see why an application guy would like this, but why would a storage guy like this? Oh my goodness! Are you, for all the reasons that we just mentioned, ask any storage guy. Hey, would you like to go to work today and carve up all of these different LUNs for these for these people and and talk to all of these people about all the different requirements? Only for them to come back a week later and go, Yeah, I know I said I needed it here, but I actually needed to be on this type of media. Oh, and I actually needed this. Can you tell me if this is that? Yeah, ask any storage administrator if that's the favorite part of their job. <laughs> so you're telling me that they're going to have time to do things that are interesting to them instead of repetitive tasks that they hate doing over and over and over again? That's what I'm telling you, Justin. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I just want to spell it out for you because I wasn't getting it off the first time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I love your interplay. I don't know that it plays for the listeners at home, but, <laughs> but personally for me, it plays and I find it hilarious. I was going to bring in a soundbite. I couldn't find one, though, but I was going to bring in a soundbite that was like a train going off the tracks, but uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't find one. That wasn't I, a derailment. That I, was a completely on the tracks. Here's We're just going to drive this point home. Right. I we're, know. We're just going to... Mm. But I was cracking up listening. I, I, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I still listen frequently. And uh, I, I do love when you do that. Like, <laughs> And Glenn did a really great job of painting that picture of you standing in front of the tracks, like putting pennies on the tracks. And I was, in, <laughs> I was just cracking up because it, I had such a visual of that. And it's just funny. Yeah, so I, I think you need a sound. You guys need a sound clip for that. We do know? need a train sound clip. Yeah. Like just to kind of get us back on the track. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. My my idea was just to steal from another p podcast and just play the Inception sound every time we realize that we've gone <laughs> another layer deep. I don't think that would fly licensing wise, would it? 
We would get dinged on that. Don't we ask for forgiveness instead of permission? That's true. But it's hard to ask for forgiveness when you're getting sued, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That no better time, I guess. Um, Pete, Pete, uh, we've actually touched on V-Vols quite a number of times uh, over the years. You, you and I, uh, on this very show, a great many times. I, I think the first time we got, we, we got Andrew in was specifically to touch on this. Um, now that you're on the other side of the street, I, I guess I got to kind of ask, how, how is VVOLS doing out there in the customer base? How are you seeing it uh, from, from an adoption perspective? What are some of the inhibitors and, and where is it being successful? Where is it helping? Good question. So, and let me start by saying you made me think of something when you said that. When you were a kid, did you ever have like a favorite place that you wanted to go visit, like a museum for to see how things are made, or like a the Hershey, you know, the Hershey's Museum in Pennsylvania is a great example where you go and see how they make the chocolate. Have you ever had a situation like that? Where no, you... my childhood was joyless. Excellent. All right. <laughs> uh, it, for 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 me, just to answer it, yeah, like a lot of video games. Like I've always been fascinated by by learning, like how was this actually made? I'd love to go talk to the designer that actually decided to make this decision because it's really this is a really interesting design decision. How did you get here? Yeah. For me, when I was a kid, I went to Pennsylvania to to go to see the Hershey. Uh, I forget the name of the park, but there's Hershey a, Park. Yeah, maybe it is Hershey's Park, but they actually it have is. a place where you can tour. Uh, the factory where they actually make the chocolate, and it was just really amazing to see how they do it. And as a kid, that was just amazing. Uh, but that sort of transcended as an adult. When I worked at Accenture, I was doing a lot of infrastructure deployments, and we were using NetApp, and that was my introduction to NetApp. And I was so fascinated by snapshots and cloning and all the way cool things that NetApp was doing to help this uh, this deployment that we were on that I just really said, I, I just got to get to this company. I want to meet the people that are doing this. I was so, like, it was like starstruck when you would meet somebody that actually... I met the guy that invented flash cash, for example, and I was like, oh, that's so cool, you know? And so yeah. that, was, that was exciting when I was at NetApp. And so the same thing happened with me at VMware. I was super attracted to VMware for a long time. And, and getting in the factory and working with developers again and, just, uh, and working with people that are driving what VMware is doing is, again, super excited. Every day I come to work, I'm, I'm so excited. So, yeah, I'm, I'm now working with the virtual volumes guys, and, and it's exciting. There's an army of people working on virtual volumes, dev, uh, devs as well as uh, product managers and all types of stuff. So it's a big, big effort at, v at, uh, at VMware. Uh, but you know, if, you read, if you read some of the articles lately, uh, one, for example, and I don't want to plug too many of them, but I did read an article recently on the register that was like, well, VVols has been out for almost a year, but where's the, why is nobody really adopting it? You know? And the first thing I thought to myself, especially coming from VMware, was, hmm, I wonder where he's getting that information from, because I don't think he's pulling that from any statistical data. <laughs> well, what I mean, he did was he reached down <laughs> and found somewhere, and, and that's where he pulled it. Yeah. So there's a two-part answer to your question, Glenn. The first part okay. is, yes, adoption has not, it's not this, it has not taken over the world. BMFS is not dead, right? People it's, it's a big switch. We all knew that this was going to be a, a transition, right? right. Like, n nobody start running around declaring failure. Like, we, just, we, did, we already declared what success looks like, and, and we're well on path as far as I'm concerned. But I'm interested in your viewpoint, Pete. Yeah, well, the first part is, is in order to use virtual volumes, you need to have vSphere 6. And not everybody has vSphere 6 yet. Uh, and so that takes a huge percentage of the folks that could potentially be using virtual volumes because they're not using vSphere 6 yet, so it's not even an option. Uh, but yeah. of the folks that are using vSphere 6, there's a huge percentage of people uh, that are already using it, whether it's in production or piloting it and testing it. Uh, I won't say the name of the company, but a very large shipping company that may deliver packages to your, to your front doorstep every once in a while. Uh, you know, their environment is humongous. They've got 30,000 virtual machines. 
uh, and they're getting ready to move over to virtual to um, to vSphere six. And we were talking to them the other day, and you know, and their biggest concerns, you know, with their current environment are just like we talked about earlier. Ease of management is their key driver. They need yep. to make it simpler. You know, the other one for them was, uh, you know, operational complexity. All the things we talked about earlier, being able to provision stuff and not, ha you know, not have to wait two weeks to have meetings and this and that. And, you know, like we said earlier, carving up all these individual LUNs only to move them. So all of that operational complexity. And so these were their key drivers and, and they are excited about virtual volumes. And that's, that's just one example, but there are some inhibitors. And so I'm not going to lie. One of the big ones for folks uh, depending, there are a couple. One of them for m almost every person that thinks about it is whether or not you have the need to do replication. So if you're using array-based replication, the current mm. version of virtual volumes does not support array-based replication yet. So that's, you know, that's a showstopper for a lot of folks because they're like, well, if I can't replicate it, it doesn't fit the need for my environment just yet, and I'll wait. Uh, the good news is, and I can't say any dates, but as Glenn Sizemore likes to say on the podcast, watch that space <laughs> because... Uh, that is definitely front of mind for the for the th the folks that are doing virtual volumes, and uh, very soon I'll have some great news about that. But for now, I'll just say watch that space. Um, the other one, from a NetApp perspective, a lot of folks that are NetApp you know faithfuls, they're looking at the the way that NetApp is deploying the Vasa provider, uh, and they're just it, they're not ready to 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 completely uh, dive in. And the main reason is is because. There are two approaches to deploying a, uh, a um, the VASA provider, which is the the key out of band mechanism that communicates. Uh, it's it's a it's a piece of software that is owned by the storage vendor that manages the entire process. Um, you know, provisioning operations, everything that happens with storage, all of the connections from the store uh, from the storage to the ESX host is done through the VASA provider. Uh, there are two ways to do that. Some vendors do it ba natively on their array. Uh, and other vendors like NetApp and, and HDS, for example, they do it in the form of a virtual machine. Uh, well, yeah. the problem with a virtual machine is it could potentially be you know, corrupt, it could go down uh, and, and be unavailable. And in the event of an unavailable VASA provider, you don't lose your data. Your virtual machines are still there, uh, but you lose control of them. You, can, you can't power them down, you can't power them up. Uh, and so until you replace that VASA provider, and in the event that the database is corrupt, uh, you're going to have to do a lot of rebuilding manually. So a lot of people think Ooh, that's not ready for prime time. So that's what we've been hearing from our NetApp customers, uh, which are many. Um, the good news is, though, that this week uh, NetApp is releasing the Vasa Provider 6.2 that actually offers for the first time, uh, it's, they call it VP Database DR. Uh, and so this is going to be the first time where you can, uh, the metadata, because the vulnerability of the Vasa Provider for uh, NetApp currently was that the metadata uh, that was tied to the virtual volumes was sitting in the VASA provider. Uh, yeah. and so if that was corrupt, you were SOL. Uh, but now they've actually moved that metadata, a copy of that metadata, down to the actual virtual volume. So in the event that it needs to either be completely replaced or at least uh, you know, restored, uh, you now have that functionality inside of the VASA provider 6.2. It's a bit of a manual process. I mean, there's, it's not automated just yet. I, I hear rumors that one day that will just completely be behind the scenes. Uh, but the good news is, is that with a little bit of scripting uh, and, and somebody who knows how to um, you know, manage your infrastructure, which hopefully everybody has, uh, you now have database DR. You now have, you know, you're not as vulnerable as you were before. So my, my message to anybody who's thinking about virtual volumes on NetApp is to make sure that you only think about VASA Provider 6.2, which is out this week. So when you say it moves to the FlexVol, I mean, how is it? How is it presented to the FlexVault? Is it presented as a metadata fingerprint, or is it presented as like an actual file? 
it's it's just metadata that's sitting on the virtual volume. Okay. And that metadata is yeah. the only thing you really need to to restore into your either your new Vasa provider uh, or your restored Vasa provider. So this metadata is it something that's always in flight, or is this something that I could capture in a snapshot without having to worry about it, like a NetApp snapshot, say? Well. So it's attached to the LUNs, to the individual yeah. objects, right? Okay. So, for example, so it's... So it's a VTOC filer? So, like, with a, with block-based, where everything is a LUN, mm -hmm. we use LUN attributes, LUN attributes right? And yeah. it creates uh, essentially a very small amount of gzipped metadata mm -hmm. that represents where it's connected to, what properties are associated with it. Um, that's at an individual flex, uh, VVOL level, right? At the FlexVOL layer, which FlexVOLs contribute to the, uh, 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 the container, the VVOL container, Right, they have additional metadata that includes what are the other uh, flex voles that participate in it. Right, what are the attributes that are being surfaced up? All those other things. So, um, effectively, it's not that the core functionality has changed or anything like that. Um, previously, when you had an issue with the Vasa provider and you needed to, you know, for whatever reason, right, it, it got corrupted, it got blown away, the virtual machine died, whatever happened, the recovery from that was more complex than we wanted it to be. Um, yeah. So, with the new version, it's pretty much as simple as pointing it at the flex volumes that contain right those vvols, and it rebuilds everything from the metadata. It only takes a few minutes in order to do that, uh, so it greatly simplifies that recoverability process and makes it um, pretty much hands off right? oh, yeah. in a, in a lot of ways. And this is a big ask. I mean, it's interesting being on the other side and and being in customer meetings. With NetApp, uh, with NetApp customers, but being a VMware guy, <laughs> coming from NetApp, that's just a, it's a surreal experience. But you know, I love hearing these guys come out and say, "We love NetApp. We want to use NetApp." However, I don't know if I want to go to VVols until we've got some, you know, until we've got some more, um, you know, HA high availability for for the Vasa provider. So I think this is the next, this is the best step in that direction. And so, um, you know, six point yeah. two is the way to go. Yeah, well, and 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 as we've we've been open on this podcast about it's it's a technical thing, right? It's a chicken and egg scenario specifically that happens with VVols because uh, vSphere is not one hundred percent in control of the data path in a VVols deployment. You've got the Vasa provider that's actually in the loop, and all vSphere and and vCenter is doing is sending API requests to the Vasa provider who is then acting on behalf of the hypervisor and management stack. Uh, and if that provider isn't there to do those bind operations and yep. to connect those VVOL objects in, then a VM can't power on. So you just get into a chicken and egg scenario, and and we had a couple of customers in in test deployments where they were just you know not nothing in production, no actual real problems, but you know j just just trying it out. You know we had uh, the a week with it. I th wasn't it like a week after we released it, Sully? We had a customer that put the Vasa provider in a VVOL object and then had their their cluster go down. Oh, that's exactly uh, what. Yeah, I remember that very yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, and then and then once once they brought the vSphere cluster back up, they're like, "Well, I can't power on this Vasa provider. How yeah. am I supposed to get my VVOL objects back?" Uh, and 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 the the change that you're referring to, Pete, is was NetApp's answer to that. Uh, it was how we said, "Okay, you know what? That's a good point. Uh, we we." we this certainly is something we need to address. Yep. Uh, and in the 6.2 release, we've we've extended the architecture to to handle for those extremely rare circumstances. You know, in, in the previous release when that happened, it was AKA SOL. You got to go run a bunch of really complex commands with yep. support for us to manually put this thing back together. Uh, in the 6.2 release, you're just going to reinstall it, point it back at the same flex falls, and it will rediscover all of those objects and understand what was connected where. Yeah, and, and to add to what you just said, it does do it does have the database uh, DR, but it also, like you mentioned, 
it, it also has the intelligence to no longer allow you to provision that VASA provider on a VVOL data store. Uh, so you avoid the Ooh. chicken and egg. So that is no really? longer even an option. So that intelligence I didn't know has been added. I didn't know you put that in there. That's 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 a smart move. I didn't put it in there. You guys did. <laughs> oh, we did. Oh, yeah. that's even better. I, I, yeah, it was me. I did it. Yeah, totally. It, it might have been Dale, but we'll we'll go with you. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, Dale, me. Who, who are you going to believe? The guy who actually codes it, or the podcast guy? I mean, shout out to Dale Holloway, one of the key engineers at NetApp. Great guy. Oh yeah, the guy's a rock star. They're yeah. all rock stars, man. I love that whole crew, even oh, though yeah. I'm the Microsoft fanboy guy. <laughs> um, just, I'm continuously amazed by what those guys come up with. Uh, just just working in that ecosystem and talking and solving customer problems. It's wildly impressive. Yep. So we touched on a little bit. Uh, we, we got into to a little bit of the weeds, as is our way uh, on the show. But uh, outside of those handful of challenges, which which are actively and rapidly being removed from the checklist, uh, what, is that kind of the extent of the field report card? You know, customers basically look at it and go, yeah, this looks awesome. Uh, we're really excited. This could make a big difference. Here's the two or three little things we need, and we'll, we'll, we'll start pushing. Well, the, the other challenge, and we touched a little bit on this on our podcast with Rawlinson, and, and, and so I'll echo a point that he brought up that is so true, and that is that it's a, a lot of it has to do with just education. I mean, it's, the, the framework is amazing. It's there, the ability to present you know, for the storage administrator to present all of these storage capabilities um, to your to your virtual administrator to consume it, uh, by using VM policies, that's fantastic. It really makes things simpler for everybody. Um, and so that is wonderful. But a lot of folks, that the whole idea of virtual volumes, it's just not the way we did it before. And so what I, I get questions, and I'll be completely honest, sometimes I get these questions from sales folks inside of VMware. And they'll say, so why do I want to tell people to use virtual volumes you know and i'm like okay well uh, let me tell you that <laughs> so it's 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 still education people need to people need to do it you know throw it in your environment it's you know if you've if you've got a vasa provider if you're a netapp customer or whatever if whatever storage you're using if you've got a vasa provider that works uh netapp certainly does um get in there and just start trying virtual volumes and you're going to be able to play with the storage policies and just see how easy it is uh, it, it's, it, it certainly simplifies the process. The other good thing it does is, you guys know this, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? And we know this, especially when I was at NetApp, you've got these customers that would come into our trade shows and say, you know, I don't understand why, but I've got all the licenses from NetApp, but I keep making these, these clones, but they're taking forever, only to find out that they either don't have VAAI on their host or they're, you know, they, they don't have it configured properly and they're just basically creating full clones or full copies as opposed to leveraging yeah. what they're paying for. Uh, and so another good thing with uh, virtual volumes is that is no longer an issue. The minute you're using the VASA provider, it automatically, for clones and for all, all of the derivatives, snapshots, it's going to use the, the array snapshots. You're not going to be using the managed snapshots of VMware that are painfully slow uh, and laborious uh, to manage. Um, so that whole process goes away, and it completely offloads that to the storage. And so you no longer have to worry, even if you have the licenses, because the really smart people will say, well, I already have storage. I'm already, you know, already going to create a clone. I'm already going to use a NetApp snapshot. Well, the problem is, is not everybody in your organization is, and you know you're going to find somebody who's using managed snapshots on their VMs and then complains why the thing is so slow. <laughs> well, to some, they hear the word snapshot, and they don't really know that there's a different snapshot for every single thing, right? They don't realize there's a VSS provider for Microsoft, or right. there's a snapshot for VMware, a snapshot for NetApp. 
So, I mean, and it's not a, a fault. That's not a character flaw. It's just it's a terminology that's been adopted by multiple vendors. Yep. But showing that, taking that piece out of it, we talked about that earlier, just making it simpler. So now that is no longer a conversation you have to have with people. If they're going to create a clone, guess what? It's going to be done through a flex clone if you're using NetApp. If you're going to create a snapshot, you're going to, it's, it's going to be done through a managed, sorry, an unmanaged snapshot, which is a NetApp snapshot, not a VMware snapshot. So tons of efficiency added to your environment, as well as storage savings. So that's, but educating people is the big curve. Getting people to try it uh, and see exactly how easy it is is, the, is where we are, I think, with the process. Uh, the good news is, is I've been there a couple of months, and a, a week does not go by where I'm not in a customer meeting with my product manager, Ben Meadowcraft, uh, and just, just talking to very big customers about it constantly. People are, you know, people are very interested. It's the one-year anniversary in March of uh, the release of Virtual Volumes, and, you know, and we're seeing a lot of uptick. So I said it on my podcast. I'll say it on this one. This is the year of Evals. <laughs> yes, I love that, by the way. It's not the year of VDI. Exactly. It's the year of Evals. Sorry, Dr. Desktop. So I was going to kind of piggyback on the snapshot stuff. So with... My understanding is with VMware and, and, and virtual machines, you have to worry about crash consistency. And if we're using unmanaged snapshots through storage arrays, how is that taking care of the crash consistency, or do we even care about that? Yeah, let me speak to that, Justin. So, yes, first of all, VADP is fully supported on virtual volumes, including Quia snapshots using VSS. Absolutely. There are some things I want to point out, though, as it pertains to backups. For one, there are, there are definitely a lot of backup vendors that are supporting uh, virtual volumes. Commvault, IBM, to name a few. Veeam is another one that I can think of. So definitely check with your backup uh, software vendor before you uh, dive into virtual volumes. But there are a long, there is a long list of uh, vendors that support uh, backups using virtual volumes. But it, it has to be configured a certain way. And so some of the specifics around this that are, that I need to point out is you're no you're not allowed to use SAN mode. Now what SAN mode is is this is a standalone backup host that actually connects directly to a LUN outside of the VASA provider in this case, right? And so that would not work with virtual volumes. Uh, you would not be able to use that type of backup. So if you had a backup on an external server that was not within virtual volumes, you know, not like a virtual machine, that wouldn't work. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to have your, your, your backup appliance on a virtual machine inside of your environment, and then you would use what we call hot add mode. Uh, and this will basically give you the ability, the backup, the backup software at that point using the hot add mode would be able to then kick off a backup that would be in line, in management with the VASA provider. Uh, the key here is it, it just can't be done outside of the VASA provider. And so uh, you can still use the backup software, but it has to be done using the hot add mode as opposed to the sand mode. So uh, uh, there's a great blog post about this that I'll share with you, and you can leave it on the notes of the podcast page. But that... You know, to answer your question, yes, their VADP is fully supported with virtual volumes, and it does include Quia snapshots. Uh, but configuring backups is done as a virtual machine as opposed to a separate appliance. Okay, good. So there is going to be an option. That's really what I was getting to, uh, yes. like, you know, making sure that we have that base covered. And I'm sure you would, but for those listening, they may have that same question. And cause well, for the, for, for the virtualization hypervisor snapshot, I don't believe that there's really any change except for the fact that when, when it gets to the phase where it, it stuns the VM and, and forks the, the, the actual file system instead of it, uh, creating that new VMDK and and linking it into the hierarchy, it it calls out to Vasa and in our case, Vasa does a flex clone on the back end. Uh, you know, at least for data on tap, it does a flex clone. 
uh, when the SolidFire VVOLS implementation comes in, it will similarly interpret that request and convert it into a storage-related activity, uh, doing so the most efficient way that that platform can do it. And, and that's really the, the biggest advantage uh, that I think VVOLS has over all, all of its competition in market today. Uh, it's really the only ecosystem that has given uh, the, the storage providers the ability to, to, to integrate our advanced data management technology directly into the product, right? You know, we don't have to go off and build, you know, other plugins and, and custom workflows through VSE uh, for us to get rapid provisioning and, and storage aware, you know, space efficient cloning mechanisms right. built in. You know, now we've just done it as it's just part of the solution stack. The, the only question that I have, Pete, and, and I'd be interested in, in your viewpoint uh, on this problem, and it's not really a question. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a criticism, but, but at the same time, I get why. The, I, I understand how we got here. I, I don't want to beat them up too bad because I think given the choice, I'd make the same mistake. But I'm curious if, if you run into this. Um, because it's just an API that's handed off to the VASA provider, uh, and because the vendors have been given so much freedom in how we actually implement and and uh, what those backend functions are, I feel like VVOLS is going to end up being slowed down a little bit uh, just by the fact that that someone who who learns VVOLS, let's say, using a, a Dell infrastructure, uh, is not going to recognize the NetApp implementation, right? We're using the same words, but technically how these things work is so wildly different because it's dependent upon the underlying platform. So there's a little truth to that, and but I would like to add to that because it's a good point. Um, yeah. and, and you guys touched on that a little bit last week on your podcast, um, talking about how you know, VMware has really given a lot of power to the, you know, the storage partners to really create their version of, vo of, v of virtual volumes. Um, and that doesn't speak to consistency. Uh, and so my response to that is, this has been done before with other products. This is, this is much like Site Recovery Manager as a workflow. VMware provides this, this opportunity for you to, in the case of Site Recovery Manager, to fail over a, a volume, a data store, to, to mount the virtual machines on there, and all these create a clone for testing, uh, and then says to the storage vendor, hey, you create a clone however you want. Uh, you know, I don't care how you're doing it, you do it, and so for NetApp, that's a flex clone, and so for someone else, it might be something different. Um, the slight difference with virtual volumes is you still have the same functionality across the board for anybody as a, as a virtual administrator. You're going to provision a virtual machine like you always do, whether it's through the GUI or through some, you know, using PowerCLI, uh, you're going to have the same commandlets to do it. Uh, you're going to have the same options. You're going to go through your storage policies and choose your policies. The only time it gets different is if you want to create a, a granular policy, a new policy, uh, or to start to dig into the weeds of or changing some of the, the, the attributes of a specific policy. That's where it gets different, and that's where each individual storage vendor gets to provide their benefit. Right? You mentioned SolidFire. Well, SolidFire has you know different QoS functionality, like you know in, in, in oh, incorporating yeah. cost, for example. Yep. Uh, that's not going to be seen on the NetApp VASA provider. That's not going to be seen on an EMC VASA provider because that's something that SolidFire does that other folks have not done. Uh, but in that same in that same vein, there are things that NetApp is going to offer that other storage providers won't. So as a storage administrator, you're presenting what you guys do best. Uh, and then the, the virtual administrator can consume those. He can either granularly consume those, or he can do it in the form of gold, 
silver, platinum, cardboard policy and then choose what he wants for his environment. Or he can get into the weeds and say, oh, well, this one actually has compression. Uh, this one is actually, you know, this one doesn't. This one has, you know, this one has replication. This one doesn't. So it's, he, it's up to the virtual administrator if he wants to get that deep. Um, if he wants to just know that he's got a policy that's going to do that for him, he can choose. You can even create policies that say Oracle database, right? So now that one is going to fit an Oracle database. So the administrators don't need to go back and say, hmm, I wonder if this would be good for the Oracle database. Well, I know it is because that's the name of the policy. <laughs> so the, there's a ton of functionality that gets presented to the virtual administrator. Uh, and, and it's different for every storage vendor, but it's very similar to the consumer, which is the virtual administrator. Yeah, you know, okay, I can I can totally dig that. Uh, that 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 makes sense to me. Uh, so so if I restate that, j just to confirm that I picked this up correctly, um, perhaps a way to think about this is, yeah, these implementations are all different, but the storage guy is the guy who's really going to be interacting with that because that's the person who's building the policy. Yep, he's deployed an array. That array has a certain amount of physical resources. Uh, and a certain amount of of uh, licensed uh, technology and capability that 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 it can perform, uh, and he's built a he or she has built a set of policies that expose that functionality for a given working set. The virtualization administrator should just be picking the policy that aligns with the tag. If you've built this correctly, then as you said, you deploy the Oracle one on the Oracle policy. Uh, so so that yeah okay. The, the differences between vendors is really just contained at the storage team level, which that's going to be there no matter what. That's that's absolutely right. Um, just to follow on to that, is that holding? Like as you move from from account to account, I know we've got, you know, you now walk into massive accounts that have a ton of NetApp and a ton of other stuff, right? Because uh, that's just how the the big boys play. Uh, is, is that actually how the these uh, implementations are, are are going in? Oh yeah, the uh, company that I mentioned earlier that I won't mention the name of, uh, yeah. they've got three different storage vendors. Uh, that they're looking at for virtual volumes, right? And so there's a sweet spot in terms of the functionality that they all offer, because uh, a lot of them are similar. You know, they're getting, they're going to have those expedited uh, cloning capabilities. They're going to have those those snapshots, things like that, that they really want. Uh, yeah. And they're also going to be able to incorporate, you know, the different types of disks. You know, SSD versus uh, maybe spinning disks. So they've got these different functionalities that they can create is you know enough different differentiation in their storage policies where they can present those in a very uniform way to the virtual administrator so he can consume regardless of what storage he's on. Awesome, man. I'm I'm really liking, you know, it's 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 funny for me. I, if you can go all the way back 2 years ago, actually no you can't now because we took the feed down. But you used to be able to go back and and there used to be a podcast of me uh, basically just just pooping all over Vivals. Uh, I wasn't very <laughs> impressed. Uh, but but to fast forward 2 years uh, after my my uh, full education uh, and and you know having Sully and and uh, Learmont and yourself and and all of our 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 uh, crew back here just educate me why this stuff matters. It's really cool man to take a step back now and see where this product's landing to yeah. watch it grow, to watch it iterate and and to see where it's it's actually settling in. It's here's, wildly impressive. Here's the thing, Glenn. It's not about VVALs. I, who cares about VVALs? It's yeah. about SPBM, Storage Policy-Based Management. I mean, it's, yep. it's really about the management. If you've got a policy-based management infrastructure like SPBM, it doesn't matter if you're using you know, your traditional array, if you're using, you know, you can use other 
products to use storage policy-based management. So it's it's that is what is way more important is is that the fact that you have some functionality to present to your virtual administrators to really automate that process to you know to to give them the the power to make changes on the fly without having to make you know change requests you know oh this was development this is now production i just right click edit the settings of my virtual machine and switch the policy and i'm done you know and so giving that power to a you know to a virtual administrator it's it's great but it's really all about the storage policy based management and that's even before vvols came out netapp was one of the early early adopters of using um, uh, storage capability profiles uh, and so we did a lot of work with those uh, in the early days even before virtual volumes that was sort of version 1 uh, Vasa is amazing, and and Vasa two is what you need for for virtual volumes. It's just taking it to that next level. It's, you know, it's 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 really something that you're going to want to try if you've got a traditional storage array in your environment, like most people do. Uh, if you're using vSphere six, you're going to want to at least kick the tires on virtual volumes. So, so vVols is essentially an architecture more than a feature, right? It's it's an underlying concept where we're trying yeah. to build something on top of it. And I, I think of it in terms of like, let's say you buy a new TV. And it's got the smart TV functionality in, in it, right? I, I can get onto the internet. I can stream TV shows from Netflix. Yep. If I don't have an Ethernet network on my back end, then that that's useless to me, right? So what, would I go back and say, I, I don't want Ethernet? <laughs> like, are you going to say that? Because you have this new TV that has this really cool stuff. Don't you want that back end? Don't you want that architecture to help you? And that's what I'm hearing that Vvols is doing for us. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely it's, it's 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 a way of 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 working, right? I mean, that, Pete, I love how you actually brought the SPVMs uh, back into this conversation because I made a statement last week to to, to Justin on the podcast. Uh, uh, you know, he was sharing how SolidFire is going through this iterative approach where they're getting people familiar with uh, using SIOC shares to 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 tr to to naturally tree up into the array-based QoS policy subsystem. Yep. Um, and and in my mind, I immediately went to what we did, uh, and with Vasa 1.0 uh, implementing the policies and giving us visibility into what the the array could do, but it couldn't yet create the objects. Right? It wasn't creating the container. It wasn't doing the bind operations. Exactly. It was just discovering what the controller could do. But we were still able to build policies where we could start to do VM placement based on the actual capabilities of a controller. And it was through the shops that went with us on the Vasa 1.0 journey that we learned what worked and what didn't work and fed into Vasa 2.0. And now the shops that implement 2.0, they're going to help us learn the stuff that's missing and the, the things that, that perhaps we could make it easier. And that'll feed into 3.0. And we just keep iterating on this. But as I said, I love where we're heading because we're not, we're not heading in a direction of uh, doing integration work, right? It's not, it's not like here's an API and a management framework and go build it. Uh, where we're heading is here's a documented plugin where it gives every vendor an easy and simple way to, to it, it's, it's almost like what's happening again in the gaming industry. Take a look at like NVIDIA and ATI and, and what they're doing with the graphics uh, uh, industry and, and, and particularly like the, the, the fight over like the GeForce experience versus you know, ATI uh, 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 optimization. 
there you've got a specific driver package in an ecosystem that's all around like making this piece of hardware as easy as possible to make your video games look beautiful. Right, right. right. You don't have to know what the settings are. You don't have to know what anti-aliasing is. You just log into this portal and you say, I want to play this video game. Give me the XCOM 2 por uh, uh, profile. And it just makes sure that it looks good and it plays reliably. Vivals is doing the same or attempting to do the same thing with enterprise storage. And that is wildly impressive, right? Absolutely. And it's something that NetApp sort of has always talked about doing as well, right? You know, NetApp used to get a really bad rap for being too complicated, right? So many, so many nerd knobs to turn. You know, people just want it simple. And I, I can remember yeah. the conversations in the back offices of, should we just make a dumb version of, of ONTAP for people <laughs> that just want to just have storage, you know, and, you know, and then all of a sudden we would have simpler versions where it would automatically provision a storage virtual machine for you and get you at least up and running. So then you can, you know, maybe create your first lift for you. But then ultimately you'd, you'd have to actually be an, an administrator, right? Um, and so, but, but the engineers are like, well, why aren't we don't, how dumb do we want to make this for people? But the truth is, you know, as we, we don't want to make it dumb. We want to make sure that it, it can be simple and used and scalable uh, for larger organizations, at the same time, you still have that complexity under underneath the cover, covers. With API-driven model like virtual volumes, you still have all the granularity, uh, but yet it's it's just really simple to consume uh, using the VM storage policies and SPBM. So that's that's the goal, man. The goal is to is to empower your your users to consume the storage capabilities that you've worked so hard to design uh, in the most you know efficient way possible. And uh, as it comes to st traditional storage arrays, I cannot think of a better way of doing that than using virtual volumes. Yeah, no, argues, no argument for me, man. Well said. So it's funny, like, you know, Glenn talked about how he, he used to be all against VVOLs and, you know, anti-VVOL. And, and then he talked about how he learned about what they actually do. And I think that's a prevailing perception that a lot of people have. They, they look at VVOLs and they don't really understand what it's for, why would I need it. But once they start to really understand it and really just dig in and use it, because that's really how you learn the best, Yeah, that's when you start to see the value. And that's why I think people need to really just get in there and use it. You know, If you don't understand it, don't knock it because it's new. Don't knock it because of inertia. Yeah, Get in there and use it. And a couple of things, I know we're landing this plane pretty soon, but uh, a couple of things. There are some great resources out there. Um, if you just go on to VMware's uh, main page and just look up v virtual volumes or VVOL, yeah, you're going to find a ton of great documents. There's a what's new document for the new version of virtual volumes that really walks through the whole architecture. It explains some of the new components that were not in traditional environments, like the protocol endpoints, why we have them, uh, you know, the storage containers, what the difference is between a storage container and, say, a LUN. Um, and so there's really good information that will g get you started. There's a, we have a hands-on lab for virtual volumes. Doesn't matter what, it, it doesn't have a NetApp yet. It doesn't have a NetApp VASA provider in the hands-on lab. Guess who's going to make that change? Um, but but it does give you the ability to s play with virtual volumes and see what it does from the from the vSphere's perspective. And so get out there and 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 try it. You know, there's Google virtual volumes, and the you you're going to find so much great information out there. In addition to our podcast, we're going to be doing some deep dives that go over you know a full hour just talking about snapshots, for example. You know, a, a full hour talking about the different. Uh, different approaches, uh, different architectures, and all the different components. And, and we really want to also bring in a bunch of storage vendors to talk about the differences between doing an array on array versus the virtual machine, uh, because there's some, some unique I love opinions. That idea. <laughs> there are yeah, some unique I love opinions as pro and con, but you know, it's fun to hear. 
when when uh, when I was listening to the last week's episode, buddy, I was sitting there and you brought that up, and I was like, "That's a brilliant idea." Just just <laughs> go. Let's just go get nine people from from the nine different vendors, and let's just let's let's nine let's realms. leave the fud leave the fud at the door for just once in this stupid industry, and yeah. let's go have an actual technical conversation about the trade offs because I don't think anybody made a bad decision here. I think everybody did the best thing that was that that that, that was best for their customers. But we all were dealing with d- different trade-offs, and I love the idea about us just talking about what those trade-offs are and why we did what we did. Oh, and they're valid for both sides of the argument. I mean, there's not Absolutely. one, there's not a clear winner. That's why it'd yeah. be a great conversation. But yeah, that, I want to do that a lot on our podcast. I love poking the bear, <laughs> so I do want to. I think we have a great industry. I mean, the storage community in general is not very big. Uh, and I do think that you know there are a lot of really great people out there from different companies that have good opinions. Whether or not they're exactly in line with mine, it doesn't matter. So I really do want to have some conversations with folks around you know storage topics, availability to- topics, and so there's going to be a lot of that on our podcast where it's not going to be just one vendor. And, and nice. you had the flexibility to kind of do that too. I mean, being VMware, where you plug into multiple vendors, right? Yeah, it's not like here where we can just pull in whoever we want. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Pete, seeing as how this is your first time back after you know running this show, do you want to do you want to take this out? <laughs> uh, sure, why not, man? Oh, come on over here! Oh, wow, this is exciting. All right, well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.netf.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching NetApp Tech on Tap Podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking to NetApp IT with Stetson and the boys. And so until then, bye for now. And thanks for listening. <laughs> I love it. It's great. That's good. That, that went pretty well. You didn't even have to write it down like that. Oh, it only, t- it only took me one time, Glenn. Yeah, Pete, what happened? How did you get that done in one take, man? I have that's no idea. Possible. It's because you're not here to scare me. No, no, that's exactly what happened. I could hear your voice. You were halfway through it. You were like, holy crap, I'm going to do it in one take. <laughs> that, was, that was solid. I, didn't mean, I have to write it down every time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You happy, though, buddy? You loving it over there? We oh, man. You. Love it, love it, love it. Virtue tweets. <laughs>